Life Audio. Hey, welcome back to the Gospel Rant. I'm Dr. Bill Senyard, the president of Gospel App Ministries, www.gospel-app.com. Hey, we're in the Sermon on the Mount. Thanks for the feedback. We love it. Please help us get the word out about the Gospel Rant to one other person this week. Uh, And and listen, I'm going to say more at the end of the podcast, but we are preparing an Advent series, and it should be very interesting, biblical, provocative, stuff that you likely have not heard about the birthday of Jesus, right? It's fun. I hope so. I think it'll be the stuff that'll get chatter going, make the season very interesting. All right, so where are we in the Sermon on the Mount? Jesus says that when we give, not if, but when we give, and that's a broad term, when we do tzedakah, the acts of righteousness, almsgiving, we're supposed to do it uh, in secret, undercover. But honestly, come on, I'll I'll admit it. I kind of want to be noticed. I want to be approved of by others and God. I want people to see my good works and praise God in heaven, right? Uh, Jesus said that earlier. Am I evil? Am I unrighteous? I mean, right? And look, in fact, I can get bent out of shape if I get accused of not being charitable or caring or Christian enough. And look, the caricature, one of the characters of Christians today is that we talk a good game, that we're righteous and giving and caring, but we crush others. So, And when we give, we, we really like to blow the trumpets for everybody to see how good we are. Is there some truth in that? Yeah, we're human too, right? Well, before we plunge into Jesus's latest teachings that rocked his world and should rock ours still, let's get a word from our sponsors. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. All right, welcome back. Very familiar passage Again, like like so much of the Sermon on the Mount, misunderstood, misapplied, and, and misleading. Jesus now seems, in this new section, Jesus now seems to be addressing the three main pillars of Jewish piety of his time. After 70 AD, the, in the temple's destruction, the three pillars are going to change into Torah, study, prayer, and sadaqah, almsgiving. But during Jesus's time, and the temple still there, it would have largely been understood to be prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. And Jesus will uh, deal with all three in this order, almsgiving, then prayer, and then fasting. Meaning that a righteous Jew, a Jew in good standing, would be the man or woman who regularly did all three. And 
it would have been noticeable by others, right? Um, <clears throat> the book of Tobit probably com compiled and edited in the second or third century BC is a fictional history, wisdom writing about a righteous Jew and is he had so many life struggles, but he concludes, and this is in 4.7 of Tobit, give alms from your possession and do not let your eye begrudge the gift when you make it. Do not turn your face away from anyone who is poor. The face of God will not be turned away from you. There's the quid pro quo. Verse 8, if you have many possessions, make your gift from them in proportion. If you do not be afraid to give according to the little that you have. Uh, chapter 4, verse 16, give some of your food to the hungry and some of your clothing to the naked. Give all your surplus as alms and do not let your eye begrudge your givings of alms. In other words, don't get bitter. Don't second guess. Uh, don't don't uh, be judgmental to the people, right? This is almsgiving. It should be from the heart, all right? That's Tobit. So what Tobit is saying, and, and really reflects Judaism of Jesus's day, two or three centuries later, if you want the face of God to smile upon you, if you want to be blessed in your relationships, your families, your health, your security, your finances, then you got to do certain things. Minimal, minimally, you do sadakaz, right, charity, compassion for those people who are hurting, care, sacrifice, hospitality, almsgiving, those who are to, to those who are needy, and you pray and you fast. And it should be noticed by God for sure, but come on. I mean, it has to do with your reputation in your society. Uh, Tobit doesn't say to do it secretly. He says, give it. So it, it would have been a major oversight for Jesus to, in the Sermon on the Mount, to not mention the big three. And of course, a righteous rabbi would exhort the people to do them. If not, then whoever that righteous rabbi would be is not preaching Judaism. He's preaching a different gospel, something dangerous, something out of sync, undermining the current Judaism and the temple structure. So Jesus does speak about, particularly Sadakaz, but as always, there's a twist. Matthew five thirteen to 16, if you recall, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You're the light of the world. A city on the hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In this same way, verse 16, let your light shine before men. Right? So like light in the darkness, it's seen, it's noticeable, that they may see your good deeds. In other words, in this case, intentionally, that they may see your good deeds and praise not you, uh, no credit to you, but they praise your Father in heaven. Well, that's kind of different, isn't it? I mean, is this what the religious Jews of Jesus' day were jonesing for, that that you do these things that God would be praised. Well, I think yes is is correct, but but also, and in a big way, probably not. I mean, they were people like me, like you, like us, who still long for an experience, a present visceral experience that God notices me. It's human, and I'm going to say more, but this is, uh, yeah, this is probably not what they were expecting Jesus to say. 
they were probably saying to calm the crowd, to give peace to the crowd, to encourage the crowd, um, do you want to earn blessings from God? Do these three things, and you could expect it. It's likely, or at least it's more likely, and Jesus is going to say something to that effect in Matthew 6. I'm going to get to that. But in Matthew 5, 13 to 16, he's basically saying, you know, if you do those things, the reward is praise to your Father in heaven. And then Jesus also says that if you do acts of righteousness, you should expect persecution, likely from the so-called righteous, maybe even from the people that you're helping. Matthew 5, 10 to 12, if you recall, blessed are those who are persecuted because of, here it is, sadikas, because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kind of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven, for the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And again, probably not what the religious leaders would have wanted to highlight for hurting people, right? And we said at the time, it doesn't come across, it feels a little insensitive. All right, so, all right, but let's get to the positive aspects of the three pillars. And Jesus does say there are rewards. All right, here's Matthew 6, 1 through 4. Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets. Don't blow your own horn, as the hypocrites or actors do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by people, by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. All right, this is the first of three sections of the three pillars, three warnings or promises or teachings related to them in each section. So 6, 1 to 4 is about sadaqahs, almsgiving. 6, 5 to 15 is about prayer, and that includes the Lord's Prayer. We're going to have lots of fun when we get to that. Don't miss those podcasts. And then the third section, 6, verse 16 to 18, is about fasting. And each section includes, in Matthew's style, uh, the way he writes, it, uh, you can tell it's a similar section. So when you do, and the expectation is that you will be doing each, not that you shouldn't, but you should be, and it includes don't be like the hypocrites or the actors. They've received their reward from other people, but if you do it, do it in secret, and God will reward. Each of the three sections have all of those elements. Matthew is very structured here, all right? Context. And remember who Jesus is preaching to. He's Speaking to the people on the hillside, the Tokoi Tonumati, they had long given up on rewards from God for righteous works, charity, because they were they were perennial receivers of charity. They had to live on charity. Many of them were rejected from family and from villages, and they lived on other people's donations and almsgiving when they weren't being judged by those people who were giving them, right? And the people who were giving them likely thought, you know, I'm giving these to you, but God's probably judging you and you need to repent of sin, all the judgmental stuff and criticism that comes. We still do it. And what did they know about giving alms to the poor? It wasn't like they were doing it incorrectly. They weren't even doing it. So when Jesus says, when you do it, that would have been something new for them, kind of triggering something in their brain, perhaps. What would cause them to 
shift from being receivers to givers? Well, simply put, remember we've said the spirit of giving, the Holy Spirit, is now available. It flowed out in Jesus's word and, and no doubt penetrated some of their inner beings and gave them, some of them, many of them, most of them perhaps, a new motivation. Jesus made them enviable by becoming their benefactor, but he didn't he didn't necessarily make them wealthy, uh, that they could give alms out of their surplus. As he was seeing this, they had no new hopes of being on the opposite end of the spectrum, the giving spectrum financially. But their motivation was new, that they were to give, to give to charity, to honor others. Right? Their new righteousness, tzadikahs, began with the receipt of God's first tzadikah to them, followed by joy, then a new desire to give to others, to feel compassion and splagnitzomai. That's, that's a word that's used just of God and characterizations of God in Jesus' parables, splagnitzomai. In Matthew 18, it would have been usually translated compassion, but it's just this burning in God to go and rescue, to feel compassion, and then rescue people who are shamed and raise them to honor, just like Jesus is doing on the hillside. It's the ultimate tzedakah. You can do it through food. You can do it through givings. You can do it through being honored, honoring others. You can do it from spending time with others, praising others, that kind of thing. Lots of ways to rescue people, to unshame people, if you will, to honor people. So splagnitzamai compassion. Sadaka is all about honoring the, the people who need to be honored, should be honored. Again, not, maybe not financially, uh, but maybe hospitality, giving time. There's lots of ways. So back to Matthew 6, 1 to 4. The passage seems to contradict what Jesus said back in Matthew 5. Um, one says, let people see you like light is seen in darkness. The other says the goal is not to be seen. How can both be true. How do we reconcile the two? Matthew 6, 1, remember, be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men, before people, to be seen by them. If you do, you you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So, um, three pillars, almsgiving, prayer, and fasting. And and to be seen in Matthew 6, 1 is, could be interpreted to impress, to be theater, theo, theo oh my, to be noticed, to be assessed positively or righteously. Reward is misthos, a remuneration for a job well done. It could be cash or it could be recognition from God, from others. It could be an attaboy, it could be noticed, it could be an acclaim, you know, well done, good and faithful servant. And, and different in verse 4 of chapter 6, reward is a epodidomai, which really is money, uh, earning. So look, um, we want to be noticed. There, I said it. It goes back to infancy, a poor attachment theorist. By the way, I just gave a workshop at the North American Christian Social Workers Convention in Oak Brook, Illinois, on, on the attachment theory simplified for adults and couples. Infants, all of us, universally have subconscious questions that their unformed brain is asking. So every time they cry out because they feel pain or hunger or afraid or wet or alone, their, their brain is saying, is there anyone out there for me? Not just anyone, but someone who's going to step in and, give, and help me get rid of my pain or fear or loneliness, my impoverishment. 
and they're going to cry and act out until some kind caregiver comes and assists them. They do not have the ability to self-regulate emotions. They need caregivers. We're made dependent and longing to be loved and lovable, to feel like somebody really has our back. It's to be human. It's not our fault. And that's at the horizontal level. It's true at the vertical level as well. The attachment theory would say that we ask the same questions related to God. We Christians still want to hear God say over us, well done, good and faithful servant. Uh, When we're crying out, we want to know that that there's someone up there for us, and we want to hear his pleasure. We want him to say, you're my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Uh, I have a friend who is in ministry, very capable, successful ministry, and he tells this story to get laughs from the audience, but but it, it's telling. He says that when he, he he's doing all of these things uh, for churches and missions and church growth, so that when he finally sees Jesus face to face, he doesn't expect to hear Jesus say, well done, good and faithful servant, but at least he'll hear Jesus say, well, at least you tried. And that usually gets a chuckle. But you know what? We want more than that, honestly. We want, we want to hear God say over us, well done, good and faithful servant. And we, we know better that Jesus has purchased that for us already 2,000 years ago, but yet something in us still wants to experience that recognition more than I did yesterday or, or this morning. Uh, we'll have it completely and experience it completely in heaven. On this side of heaven, we have it, and yet we don't experience it completely. Look, here's another way of looking at it. When you graciously and quietly do sadaqah, when you do something sacrificial for someone in need, some righteous cause, to the best of your ability, you've let the gift go, you wanted to give it, you let it go, you opened up your hand, you dropped it in the into the pot, no recognition, no acknowledgement, but then the one who received the gift in secret, right, they didn't know it was you, when they say something that's accusing you of being stingy or not caring, what automatically bubbles up out of your all-too-human brain, your midbrain, is, wait, wait a minute, I, I, I did give, I did care, I am righteous, I'm not stingy, right? The, the subconscious rush of making your case, defending yourself for your righteousness, is no less than wanting notice, um, right? It's just saying you're human, and it's not all your fault. In that case, has God seen your grace? Sure, of course, he's all-knowing. Is he waiting to see how secret it is? And how, if, are you going to make it for a certain amount of time before he rewards you? Well, that's an interesting question. I mean, first, Matthew has already said that the positive workings and transformation of the Spirit and in our inner being is that we begin to want as our reward that God would be glorified, right? And in this particular case, your struggle is that you're not being glorified. Right, Matthew 5.16, in the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven, not, not you. So something new is going on inside of you, I promise, because you have the Spirit, if you're a Christian, something that um, is above what your and my subconscious really wants. It, my subconscious wants acceptance. It's just the way I'm made. He wants to be seen as worthy and good and right and lovable and acceptable, but the Spirit in us wants God to be praised. So there's a <clears throat> cognitive dissonance within Christians, and it sounds something like this. You do something stunningly gracious, something costly to you, something sacrificial, 
And it's noticed like light and darkness is noticed, but then people, including unbelievers, it would seem in Matthew 5, see what you've done and continue to do, and they conclude that something happened to you. That's just not like you. You've changed, or rather you've been changed. There must be some reason that a person like you would have done that. They quip. Either the cheese has slipped off your cracker a bit, or there's a power or a God that has changed you into a man or woman who cares more for others than yourself. And they're so moved, Jesus implies, that they bow down, not praising you, not giving you credit, rather they praise the power that changed you, the God whose DNA is Blagnitsamai, that rescuing compassion that comes alongside of the tokoi tonumati and makes them enviable, and you're good with it. You praise God too, and that's your reward now, and everybody's good. That's Matthew 5.16. And just before that, Matthew says your reward for doing such thing is likely persecution. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you, Matthew 5.12. And remember, you get that reward. That's what Matthew is saying, but it's in heaven. And what is the reward? You will forever be recognized as worthy, as lovable, as glorified, as a faithful son or daughter, everything that you and your subconscious has longed for here and and hope to get slivers of uh, from praising and encouragement of others, but you're no longer going to need that from others. It will be fully experientially yours. Isn't that great news? Heaven is going to be great. And and on what basis do you get that? Was it because of your good deeds? Oh, man, I hope not, because... I don't think my good deeds will last for eternity, and, and you know the the benefit from it, the payment from that. Um, and my good deeds are often suspect. I do it to get noticed. It's all because the, the reason I get that reward in heaven is because of the singular act of righteousness of Sadaka on my behalf, Jesus on the cross. That's the pinnacle of, in fact, the only pure act of almsgiving that has ever been that would satisfy Jesus's pledge here. That make any sense? I'm going to give you an analogy, an image that will help. Uh, but first, we're going to do another break from our sponsors. Don't run out and buy their stuff until after the podcast. Okay, we'll see you in a minute. All right, welcome back. So here's an image that could help. Think spectrum. Zero is I'm doing this charity, this almsgiving, this act of kindness, reaching out to someone who's shamed and honoring them totally to get recognition from other people, favor, to look like a good Christian. Ten, on the other side of the spectrum, is that I'm totally doing this out of really love for that person, splagnitsamai, God splagnitsamai, and I'd be excited if God's name would be praised, not mine. So all of our acts of righteousness, or when you do them, Jesus says, they're on that spectrum somewhere, and Jesus is saying that the only one that gets rewarded from God is ten. Yeah, there's only been one 10 ever. Because of what Jesus did 2,000 years ago, I get everything that that act, Jesus, earned from God. It's mine now. That's the substitutionary atonement, a part of it. Is Jesus saying that, that uh, look, religiously, we are supposed to avoid any and all acknowledgement from people here? I mean, is favor from people evil? Is that what's implied? It's been taught that way. You know, the pious response to a person who comes to the preacher and says, 
brother or sister, that was a powerful word today, in which the pious pastor must say, oh, praise God, brother and sister. Well, doesn't that sound a bit too legalistic and uh, disconnected from humanity? I I think so. First of all, the more uh, that I'm feeling the acknowledgement of God towards me, strictly due to what Jesus has done for me, the more that in my inner spirit I'm hearing the Spirit say, you're my beloved child with whom I'm well pleased, the more I'm experiencing that favor of the Father and the Son and the Spirit. Honestly, the less I need the praise of others or recognition or favor. I don't have to be defensive as, as much, and I can enjoy recognition. I can enjoy the favor of others. That's only human. God made me this way. And my subconscious is still, this side of heaven, going to long for the favor of other people, for praise, for compliments. And that's not evil. It is how I'm made, right? I tell this funny story. Someone said, that was a great message this week, Pastor Bill. Well, you get it, right? Where my head was? All I heard was, this week. Well, wait, wait, what about the, that great message I did last week and the one before? See, at that moment, I was in my uh, compliment, my favorite cup was empty or, or, or leaky. I was out of sync with the Spirit who still loved me the same after that sermon as before it and after the previous sermon or before it. If I was in touch with the, the Spirit's favor towards me, if I was experiencing it, I could have received the compliment and rejoiced. I could have felt good. It's not an evil or a bad thing. So switch it around. Does the pious Christian man or woman not give compliments? Because if you do, you may be stealing the, that person's reward from heaven. <laughs> it's absurd, really. God forbid. All right, let's get it right. Back to the spectrum. If God was a Mr. Scrooge up in heaven and holding back praise or hug or acknowledgement from us until we got this perfectly right, we would be miserable. And Christians would be more miserable than we already are. That's, that's our caricature out there. Better to think of our relationship with God as a child with a loving, caring father who desires the child's well-being and, and sees that the, that the child their subconscious brain is looking for favor, looking for acceptance, looking to, to know that there's somebody out there who sees them as lovable, as, as impressive, who's a fan. I visited my six-year-old grandson this week. Amazing kid. I mean, I, I mean it by all, uh, by all measurements, all objective measurements. I mean, he can read already. He can do math already. He's, he's an origami fiend. And he seems to be aware of his prowess in a lot of areas. Oh, by the way, he's got lots of friends. But still, he wants acknowledgement. He wants favor. He wants to hear how impressive he is, how lovable he is. Right? He wants compliments. You know what? That means he's human. If, if I said, oh, my grandson, your origami ex expertise is from God, and so I thank God for it. Well, that's true, and it does. It, I mean, that theologically is a true statement. But I got to tell you, that would be unloving for me as a grandfather to my young grandson who, who wants to know, wants to look into my eyes and see that I am stunned at him. I'm a big fan. I have his back. I would buy stock in him. 
So I need to say things. I should say things. Good job. That's amazing. You're really good at that. I love it. And I think you're very, very special. Oh, and by the way, God's given you great gifts. Praise God. I mean, both can exist at the same time. It's not evil to desire favor and acknowledgement. It's very human. It will not make us whole. A favor and acknowledgement from worldly things, people, from my accomplishments, from recognition and awards. Uh, but it, it is a dopamine hit, and my brain loves dopamine hits. I mean, I can get addicted to them. As a matter of fact, I would say I am addicted to it. And they're just mere shadows of the favor of God, which we already have because of Christ, but we struggle to experience this side of heaven. And God knows our struggle and our need, and that is on his heart. How do we experience more of his favor now? Well, we ask. We ask specifically for the power of God, Ephesians 3, 14 or 21, to, to affect us through the Spirit and our inner being so that we would begin, I mean, just begin, grasp the height and width and length and depth of the love of Christ for us that has been purchased for us 2,000 years ago. It's core to our spiritual formation. It's core to our walk. We're human. By the way, this is at the heart of our online program, The Dance, www.the-dance.org. I've spoken of it, just a shameless plug, because so many of us struggle with feelings of not enoughness, being successful enough, smart enough, attractive enough, happy enough, have enough faith, good enough for God or others, fear of being disconnected from God, that he's turned his back or he's, his face is not shining upon us. All those euphemisms for shame and loneliness. And both are at epidemic levels in the U.S. today. We refer to them as the next pandemic. One study, oh my gosh, this is horrible, found that 30% of respondents were at problem levels of loneliness and isolation. And that includes Christians. Two-thirds in another study said that no one really knows them well. Shocking. No, no wonder we, we need acclamation of other people. No longer we're longing for that from God. So these levels of not enoughness and disconnectedness predispose us to depression, social anxiety, anger, restlessness, irritability, suicide ideation, and they're causal to addictive behaviors. Virtually all subconscious, meaning it's not all our fault. So it's for such hurting folks that we created the dance, www.the-dance.org. It's a biblical online intensive experiential program path designed to help wounded and beat up Christians begin to apply the gospel to their own unique areas of struggle. You'll be surprised how easy it is. It takes 90 minutes, evidence-based. We do before and after scientific surveys. Participants generally leave the dance with a new awareness of what's going on in their brain, plus a greater experience of just how much God loves them as they are, not as they should be. And this should give you and me great hope, a path to feeling better about ourselves and our relationships with others and with God. There's a fee, but it's a fraction of a counseling visit and a satisfaction guaranteed. You go through it, you're not happy, money back. No questions asked. Here's a testimony of someone who's just been through it. Quote, hearing someone point out the fact that what I experienced as a child and even as an adult, abuse, alcoholism, drug, drug addiction, toxic bin, has led... Uh, and or contributed to my struggle with self-worth and shame was eye-opening. 
I didn't know that shame was isolating and that the enemy used it to keep me from being in the community and connecting with others. Hearing shame can be healed was deeply encouraging and left me feeling hopeful versus how I was feeling, hopeless. Close quote. So listen, if you're feeling not enoughness and disconnected, and who isn't in this day and time? Oh my gosh, particularly with all the political wrangling going on. Do it. Check out the dance. You'll be glad you did. Can't wait to hear about your experience. www.the-dance.org. All right. Briefly back to Matthew 6. We need to wrap up the podcast. In heaven, we will naturally, innately do acts of kindness. Sadikaz, because we want to. We won't need to. Uh, we want to. We won't need to do it to get credit. Everyone's going to be doing it. And and the sadikaz will be perfect. Why? Because our righteousness cups will be experientially full. We'll lack for nothing. We won't need other people's approval, but also we won't need to feel guilt when someone tells us how much we meant to their spiritual walk on earth. Someone comes up to you and goes, you know, I'm in heaven because you gave that testimony. I won't have to go, no, that just wasn't me, brother. I'll actually be able to enjoy that compliment and that testimony. I'll dance and feel good about it. No shame. But here, my midbrain fights against me experiencing the grace and love of God for me that Jesus purchased. You know, I jones for it more than I want to admit. Right? right? Christians and non-Christians. We all get dope hits when we're noticed and acclaimed. That's how our brain is made. That dope hit is addictive. All of our acts of charity are tainted by it until heaven. So chill. Stop taking yourself and your favorability so seriously. And we could, here's how you fight against it. You start a new habit. You get addicted to the favor of God more by asking the Spirit to make you feel it more. John Calvin wrote that this was the secret passion of the Spirit, to make Christians feel the favor of God purchased for us by Jesus more today, tomorrow, and the next day. And again, step-by-step approach in the dance, the-dance.org. So does God reward charity? One, God rewards perfect charity, untainted by a desire for self-notice. And there has only been one such act of charity. Two, we might be able to experience more of the singular reward as we give, or better, the more we experience the grace of God in Christ, the more we want to give. Three, our reward includes God being praised by others, right? That's what we will want that more and more as the Spirit affects us. But we will also get persecution from others, including some of the ones we actually give charity to, because we did good. And four, do we get more rewards in heaven, more crowns if we are more charitable here? You're kidding, right? I've heard people say that. But what did Jesus's act, his sadaqah, his gift for us lack, <laughs> right? Oh my goodness, we can say more about that, but we got to move on. All right, next time, we're going to talk about prayer, and we're going to begin to talk about prayer. Very interesting. I think it's it's largely misunderstood what Jesus, the Lord's Prayer in particular, we're going to have a lot of fun. I've written on the topic. I've spoken on the topic. I've been in lots of debates on the topic. The Lord's Prayer is far more than a template. It's a unpacking of the Beatitudes. You'll see what I mean. Get ready to be shocked and surprised. Uh, let people know. And as I mentioned, I am preparing an Advent series as well. It's going to run parallel to the remaining Sermon on the Mount series. Something new. Uh, Every podcast, I think we're going to title it The Rest of the Christmas Story, meaning 
the rest of the story, uh, uh, things that you haven't heard, things that add to it, things that, that makes a big difference. We're going to have lots of fun, more info coming. Well, that's all for this podcast. Hopefully it's beginning to make sense. Push back, Bill at gospel-app.com. Thanks again to lifeaudio.com. Check out the other podcasts on their site. Also, pass the word about Gospel Rant to others you know. One person this week. Uh, that would make a difference. It's important. I think what we're talking about is life-changing and could affect evangelicalism and Christianity. Parents, check out Good Enough Parent. I've said something about that. Uh, goodenoughparent.online. It's free, absolutely free. If you're struggling with uh, uh, your teens or tweens, you're frustrated, you don't think you're doing a good job, please, I'm begging you, go through Good Enough Parent. It's 15 tips. They're sent to you and absolutely free. You'll be so glad you did. All right. Take heart, child of God. Finding uplifting news in today's headlines is often like searching for a needle in a haystack. At the Story Behind podcast, we believe in the power of finding heartwarming tales and are happy to share empowering stories with you every week. Hear about how Steve Harvey surprised a dying man on Family Feud with $25,000. Get inspired by the note a waitress received from a patron dining alone. And even hear about how one VIP passenger made a hard-working pilot get emotional before his flight. To start listening to the Story Behind podcast, visit lifeaudio.com or search Story Behind on your favorite podcast platform.